The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Today's episode is brought to you by Pear Eyewear. Your style is constantly evolving and it's time your glasses start keeping up. With Pear Eyewear, changing your frames is easier than ever. You just snap on a new design to transform your look whenever the mood strikes. It's one pair with endless possibilities because who says that glasses have to be boring? Get glasses as ever-changing as you are with Pear. Go to PearEyewear.com slash bad for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at PairEyewear.com slash bad. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to a new episode of the Bad the Booed broadcast. I almost forgot what we were doing here for a minute. I have a lot of cold medicine going on inside of my body right now. I got sick, so I'm sorry in advance for the sound of my voice. I guess it's it's what I deserve because last week I was saying how I needed like a a deeper, sexier, spookier voice for these episodes and now it's happening against my will. But it's okay. We've got some emergency. We've got some Fresca, which is the most underrated soda, I just want to say. And uh, yeah, I took two mystery orange pills. I'm almost positive they were Dayquil, but they were loose at the bottom of my medicine like bin. So I just took them and hoped for the best. Anyway, how's everyone doing? Have we recovered from last week's stories? Have we recovered just in time? Just in time to re-up on our, on our spooks? Perfect. Before we get started, I want to do some love hates, except I don't have any loves. I just have six hates for you. If you're new here, this is a segment I do sometimes that we call love hate. And I normally do three loves and three hates, but sometimes when the mood takes me, I just do six hates. And that's what we're doing today. I don't think I've ever done six loves, which probably says something about me, but whatever. We don't call it the bad broadcast for nothing. All right, let's get into my six hates for the week, and then we'll do our spooky stories. First, hate. I hate when brands have Shakespearean sonnets on the back of their product. I went to go buy yogurt at the store the other day, and it had like a full paragraph on the back about how each individual ingredient was harvested with love and how they're a company that thinks about their customer and each individual need that everybody has. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Stop. Stop with the nonsense. I hate getting love bombed by companies. That's what it is. Just tell me you want to make money. It's fine. Nobody starts a brand hoping to make no money and just make people feel good. Quit with the poetry about how much you love me. Okay, just give me yogurt. Tell me what's in it and I'll buy it. All right. The next thing I hate. I hate an experience that I had this week. So I have a Finsta. It's my biggest secret. I will never, ever, ever tell you what it is because I only use it to stalk people. I never use it to post anything. But anyway, when I had my my old Instagram, just like my personal Instagram account, I never once looked at who viewed my story ever. Even when I had like four or 500 followers, I never looked because I always mindlessly watch people's stories. So I figured people were doing that to me. So I just never looked, didn't really care. So I never thought that people would notice my Finsta in their story viewers. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, there's like six people that I stalk on my Finsta and I go to stalk one of them and I am blocked. I'm blocked. My Finsta is blocked. And I thought, okay, well, 
Instagram has this new feature where you can block all the accounts that somebody makes. So they must have blocked the bad broadcast and then just put like and, you know, block all of the accounts that this person makes. Nope. That's that's not what happened because I went on the bad broadcast account and I could still access their profile. They had seen my Finsta and blocked only that account. I don't know if they know it's me, but that is weird, right? Or maybe it's normal. I don't know. I just feel like if I had my personal Instagram and I looked through the story viewers and I saw like a weird name, I would just be like, oh, it's a bot. I would maybe think it's somebody's like Finsta account, but I would never just block that account specifically, you know? So I've had nonstop anxiety diarrhea thinking about it since then because I'm pretty sure they found out that it was me and I don't like that. Like maybe they were letting me know that they know that I know that they know that I know. I don't know, but it's kept me up. It's kept me up for the last like eight days. All right, my next hate. I learned that essential oils are called essential because they contain the essence of something. They're not called essential because they are indeed essential, as in necessary. So I don't know about you, but that feels like a scam. It feels like they use that word to their advantage when it doesn't mean what they're actually saying. I don't use a lot of oils, but when they say essential oils, sometimes it clicks in my brain like, oh, I guess I need them. I guess like for some reason they're essential to my well-being. Nope. They are literally called that because they are scented. So feels a little dishonest. Feels like false advertising. Not that oils really have the best track record of like honest advertising, but that one really got me. Hate that. All right. The next thing I hated this week. I hate when people act like they're better than me because they don't know who a celebrity is. Like I posted something about Charlie D'Amelio the other day and someone messaged me and was like, OMG, I don't even know who this is. That's what I get for never being on my phone. LOL. Like, okay, my screen time is 23 hours a day and you don't hear me bragging about it. Hate it. The next thing I hated this week, I hate the food sold at discount department stores, i.e. TJ Maxx and Marshall's. I was at Home Goods the other day and, you know, in the checkout line, they have like flavored popcorn. They have like hot chocolate bombs off-brand gummy worms. You get it. Why in my mind are they all made of like sawdust and corn syrup? Also, they're not cheaper than the grocery store. So I don't know. I just, I don't want to buy any snacks that are stored next to like lawn furniture. Freaks me out. The last thing, my last hate for the week. I hate that Milk Bar sold out and started big leaguing us. You know, original Milk Bar fans know how good it used to be. And then they got popular and they started selling their cookies at Target and they suck bad. And this is true with any food brand that gets big, like they start mass producing and then they don't taste the same. But those milk bar cookies from Target taste like they taste like protein cookies to me. Like they're not good. The texture is weird. They do not even taste slightly similar to milk bar cookies. Like when milk bar had only like three locations, it was the, the joy of my life to go to a city where there was a milk bar and I would get a compost cookie and a crack pie and cereal milk soft serve with the cornflake crunch on it. And it was a delicacy. Also, did you guys know that they had to change the name of crack pie to milk bar pie? Because people were not happy about it. Anyway, there used to be no bakery that compared to milk bar for me. 
And I'm happy for their success. I get it. But if you're not delivering what got you here, what's this all for? You know? So to summarize the six things I hated this week, I hate when I get love bombed by brands. I hate that someone discovered my Finsta. I hate that essential oils are not essential. They are just scented. I hate when people think they're better than me because they don't know celebrities. I hate this food sold at discount department stores, and I hate that Milk Bar sold out. Those feel very appropriate for the week I had. I thought about all six of those pretty often. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Brightbox. I am so excited to be partnering with Brightbox again. They're one of my favorite companies I've ever worked with. And this time around, we've got something extra special. Let me fill you in on what Brightbox is if you haven't heard of them before. They are curated care packages that you can just hop on and order and send to whoever you're thinking of. Maybe somebody just had a baby. Maybe they graduated. Maybe they're going through a hard time. They've got tons of options. You can get on there. They've got curated boxes and you can also build your own box. But also, surprise, I have created a custom bad broad Brightbox. I was able to go into Brightbox and look at everything that they have to offer and handpick each thing that goes in this box. The idea of it is that I wanted you guys to be able to have a full night of self-care with everything that this box comes with. It's got a candle. It's got a shower steamer. It's got a face mask. It even has a snack and a drink mix and more. I don't mean to brag, but it is the most perfect thing that you could send to a friend or just buy for yourself. I loved picking out every little thing that went in the box because it felt like I was planning a collective girls' night for all of us. So those will be launching this Wednesday, October 26th, and you can get yours at brightboxes.com. Be sure that you type in brightboxes with an ES at the end. So brightboxes.com to check out the Bad Broad box and use the code BADBROAD for free shipping on any Brightbox. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know what is extremely hard? It's extremely hard to rewire your brain, to find new neural pathways, to find new ways to problem solve or new ways to look at things. The only thing that has helped me change my unhealthy behavior is going to therapy. It's the only time I have somebody giving me straight up advice on how to do things better, how to problem solve better, because it's hard to train your brain to be in problem solving mode, especially when you're faced with a challenge in life. But when you find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals in life, no matter how big or small. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a phenomenal option. It's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable. And it's entirely online. You don't even have to leave your house. You can also get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. Therapy can be very intimidating to start. It's like, how do I find a therapist? What if I don't like my therapist? How much is it going to be? How do I find an office that's close enough to me? And BetterHelp takes care of all of those pain points. So if you want to be a better problem solver, or you want a new perspective, or you need some unbiased advice, Therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash bad. One more time, that's betterhelp.com slash bad. All right, now that we have warmed up, it's time to get into our spooky stories for the week. Let's begin. 
First up, boy, have I got a UFO story for you. When my dad was a teenager, his dad would often take him on long camping and fishing trips in the wilderness of Northern California. Important to note, my grandpa was a literal rocket scientist working on secret government projects for Lockheed and was one of the smartest people I'd ever met. One time, they were camping in the middle of nowhere in Strawberry Valley, California. My dad had brought a friend along, and they were hanging out listening to the radio and looking at the stars in the bed of my grandpa's truck. My grandpa was already asleep in the front of the cab. All of a sudden, the radio cut out and went staticky, and a bright light appeared over their heads. It was like a flat disc that emitted a glowing, super bright white light. It got pretty close to them, but strangely didn't make a sound, nor did it disturb the air around them. Because the light was so bright, the boys had turned their heads sideways with their hands blocking their eyes. As quickly as it had appeared, the UFOs zoomed away, silent and faster than humanly possible. The boys looked at each other and, too scared to say a word, fell asleep. The next morning, my grandpa got up and started cooking breakfast. He took a look at the boys and said, what happened to you? Half of your faces are burned. The boys looked at each other and indeed, the halves of their faces that had been exposed to the bright light of the UFO looked like they had been sunburned. My dad told him about what they had seen and my grandpa did not say a word. However, my dad notes that he didn't look at all surprised. They never really talked about the encounter after that. However, my grandpa's job, as I mentioned, was very secretive and it was rumored that he was working on a government project at the time, reverse engineering fallen alien spacecrafts. No joke. The fact that he didn't seem surprised by the encounter only further proves this theory in my opinion. My grandpa has since passed away and because he was sworn to silence, his top secret information has died with him. To this day, though, my family all believes in aliens and regularly tell this and other UFO sighting stories around the dinner table. Okay, so it seems like they found out, they being the aliens, found out what your grandpa does and they were just like checking him out, like making sure that he wasn't doing anything sketchy. They just wanted to make sure he had good intentions when he was, you know, reverse engineering spacecrafts. I hate to say it, but this feels more credible than any documentary <laughs> or podcast that I've ever listened to about aliens. Granted, this could be completely made up. I have absolutely no way of verifying this, but I don't care. I'm believing it. Also, I don't know anyone who doesn't believe in aliens, to be honest. Like, maybe I just hang out with idiots. I don't know. But I've never met anyone who's like, nah, we're alone. Nothing else is out there. So it doesn't really feel like aliens are a conspiracy theory so much as they are just something we don't know a lot about, like the ocean floor or cryptocurrency. All right, next story. For the summer, I worked at my friend's bed and breakfast in Tombstone, Arizona. If you don't know, Tombstone is extremely haunted. In this B&B, I've always felt like I was being watched. I slept there and always had to have the covers over my head. Doors would open slowly and slam shut, but I chalked it up to being a draft. One night, we were low on flour in the kitchen. I asked my coworker to go down into the cellar to get more. He came up, handed the bag to me, and I noticed there was flour all over the bag, but whatever. My coworker turned away from me, and I gasped. On his back, there were two small childlike handprints on his black shirt in flour. When I asked him if he felt anything in the cellar, he said he felt a cold breeze but didn't think anything of it because it's a cellar. I quit the next day and never went back to Tombstone again. I do highly recommend visiting it, though, if you're into haunts. <laughs> I, I will never understand people who enjoy being scared, like people who visit haunted places just for the sake of getting scared. Have we checked on them, like, extensively? Because if someone came up to me and said, hey, do you want to just go here for the sole purpose of being really scared? I would say, please seek treatment. It's like people who eat hot Cheetos. Why are you putting yourself through that? 
It causes you pain. It gives you diarrhea. And everyone is judging you. Anyway, I did look up Tombstone, Arizona, and I found out some pretty fun facts about it. So I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to tell you guys what I learned about this haunted town of Tombstone, Arizona. It's in the southeast corner of Arizona. It's only like 50 miles from Mexico. Only 1,300 people live there. Very tiny town. And the mayor's name is Dusty. Of course, the mayor of Tombstone is named Dusty. There's also a movie called Tombstone, The Town Too Tough to Die. Sounds pretty cool. So the most haunted place in Tombstone is called the Birdcage Theater. In 1882, the New York Times declared that the Tombstones, that Tombstone's Birdcage Theater was the roughest, bodiest, and most wicked night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. I don't know what either of those places are. I don't know where Basin Street is, nor do I know where the Barbary Coast is, but apparently it's rough and rowdy. 26 deaths and 140 bullet holes later, this American icon is packed with poltergeists, gunslingers, gamblers, prostitutes, and poker players. That sounds pretty fun, actually. All right, another another haunt <laughs> people visit in Tombstone is called the OK Corral. And it says, you're bound to be haunted whenever you're famous for fast draws. Some think that the OK Corral may have more apparitions than any other site in the Southwest. Tombstone's late lawmen and lawless patrol the property, packing their pistols and pitching a fit. Wow, I got to read that again. That really, that was, that was really good imagery. That really painted a picture for me. Tombstone's late lawmen and lawless patrol the property, packing their pistols and pitching a fit. Wow, I'm not going to lie. When I looked this up, it did pique my interest a little bit. Themed haunted things are slightly less scary. Also, I would not mind the ghost of a cowboy Casanova visiting me one night in a haunted bed and breakfast. Okay, sue me. All right, next story. This one involves real people, which to me is scarier than a ghost absolutely scarier than a ghost. In high school, I worked at a driving range. In parentheses, it says a golf place, which I really appreciate her clarifying because sometimes when I hear driving range, I think about like driver's ed where you serpentine around the cones. That's also called a driving range. I'm pretty sure I could be making that up. Anyway, we go on. Normally, there would be two people who worked the shift together. But on this particular day, my coworker wasn't feeling well and he asked if I would be comfortable working the rest of the shift by myself. It was second shift, so we closed at 10, but by the time the last customer left and I shut everything down, it was 11. Everything went fine, but I was annoyed that I was there so late. At 7 a.m. the next morning, I got a call from my boss. It turns out six men had robbed the driving range after I left. In the security camera footage, they're all carrying baseball bats and wearing ski masks. They broke in three minutes after I had left. The police said they were either watching me and waiting for me to leave, or it was just really lucky timing. I'm not sure which is scarier, TBH. Nobody was ever allowed to close up on their own ever again. Okay, it's stories like these where feminism exits my body completely because girls should not be left alone at night in a workplace. It should be a law, and I'm actually not even saying that to be funny. I'm, I'm all for equality, obviously, but sometimes we have to look at the facts, and the facts are 85% of killers are male. And the majority of their victims are women. And every time I say that, every time I talk about this statistic, men are suddenly very enthusiastic about making sure women get the credit they deserve. I'll be like, yeah, the majority of men are serial killers. And they'll be like, well, excuse me, there are plenty of female serial killers, okay? 
Andrea Yates, Eileen Wernos. Like, okay, now you want to make sure that women are getting attention? Like, now you don't want to take credit for this? If I said 85% of influential scientists were male, you would never hear a man be like, uh, excuse me, what about Jane Goodall and Elizabeth Blackwell? Like, no, get out of here. You would never do that. So if you want to take credit for literally everything that's ever happened, you better take credit for the bad stuff too. Also, the majority of female killers do so out of self-defense, just by the way. Let's not deny the facts. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Measury. So I watch a lot of chick flicks. You know, I, I watch a lot. And it seems like the main thing that girls want their man to buy them is jewelry. And it had me thinking, why are we not just buying ourselves jewelry? Nothing makes me feel more like a strong, independent girly than buying myself jewelry. Measury does find jewelry differently. They celebrate every single day, not just the big moments. It's the stuff that you want to wear forever. They've got responsibly sourced diamonds and recycled 14 karat solid gold pieces that you can sweat, shower, and sleep in. You literally never have to take it off if you don't want to. These are the only earrings that I can wear day and night. I can sleep in them and they don't bug my ears. Their high quality pieces are designed for you to wear your way, whatever your taste, mood, or budget. Measury also drops new limited edition products every single Monday. So if you're looking for a sign to buy yourself the diamond or the gold hoops or the bracelet or the necklace, then this is it. You absolutely deserve it. You've been through a lot. It's been a long year, okay? You deserve to sit down and order some amazing pieces of jewelry that you're going to wear forever and probably pass down to somebody else. So make your own day and go to Measury.com. That's M-E-J-U-R-I.com. One more time, that's Measury.com, M-E-J-U-R-I.com. Hi, I'm Bethany. And I'm Anthony Garcia. And this is the Garcia Diaries Unfiltered. In this day and age of filters and heavy editing, we believe in sharing the real and raw parts of marriage, parenthood, and real freaking life that often get filtered over. Every week, we share next level real life confessions from our audience. You'll either feel seen, highly entertained, or maybe even both. Come hang with us and catch a new episode every Friday. Make sure to follow so you don't miss a single confession. All right, next story. Okay, I lived in a haunted house and I still get the chills when I think about some of the things that happened to my roommates and I. So picture this. My best friends and I move into the cutest old house at the beginning of fall semester two years ago. After a couple days of living there, weird stuff started happening. The closet doors would randomly open and slam shut. In our creepy basement, there was this storage room that had one light and it only turned on by pulling down the little string and none of us ever went down there except to do laundry but it would randomly be on even if no one had been down there. We also found a super scary hidden room in the basement. The house was built in 1908 that had an old wardrobe and boxes with clothes and blankets. We all ran upstairs screaming after we found this. We kind of thought it was funny at first and we named the ghost Couscous. <laughs> Sorry. It was just the most unsuspecting name. When I first read this, I was like, that, that's not my first instinct when naming a ghost. But anyway, then bad vibes came over the house and we were all scared to be home alone. He probably hated his name. Let's be honest. One night, we were all in the living room talking about couscous and what we should do about him. When in the kitchen, a cup that was on top of the fridge was launched from the fridge and crashed on the ground as if he were responding to us talking about how to get rid of him. 
We all booked it outside screaming. I was so terrified. I was crying and I called my dad and he said that we should get someone to come cleanse the home. So the next day, my roommate calls her friend who brings his friend who actually ended up being my husband, but that's a story for another time. They cleansed our house. We all thought that it was over and peace had been restored, but we were wrong. Side note, everyone thought we were being dramatic and crazy or there was just a draft, whatever, but we knew there was something. There was some spirit in our house. As the school year went on, we stopped talking about couscous. The weird thing still happened, but we just shook it off and said he was a friendly ghost or that the house was just so old and that's why doors open and slam shut, lights on and off, etc. We put way too much trust in our friend's cleansing abilities, haha. But then a new roommate moves in and she's like, what is going on in this house? Bad vibes. She refused to be home alone and sometimes even left to sleep at friends' apartments. During this time, I would also have terrible nights sleep. I would wake up sore and I would wake up terrified for no reason, like sweating and tearing up. But I never connected any of it to the ghost. But then the real truth of what was going on in our house was revealed when I spoke to an energy healer about eight months after moving in. She said, do you ever feel like there's a bad spirit in your house? And I said, yes. Then she proceeds to tell me that there is an evil spirit who lives in our attic and our basement that messes with my roommates and I in our sleep and is constantly poking and prodding us while we sleep. It manipulates our dreams and purposely scares us only for its own entertainment. And that the other supernatural incidents happening in the house were also because of the spirit being a trickster. I was shaking, literally shaking, thinking about the mornings I would wake up and there would be random drops of blood on my pillows or sheets, but no sign of any scratches or marks on my body, or when my roommate would wake up inexplicably sore in the morning, or the countless times I was home alone but felt like there was just someone else there. I would literally leave my own home just so I could feel at ease. We were being haunted. This was confirmed to me when I got home that evening, and literally every single one of my roommates made some comment to me like, I love our house. It's so cozy, or I don't know why, but I feel really lucky to live here. I hadn't told them anything about my session yet or what the energy healer had told me. There was simply a palpable, lighter feeling in our home. The bad vibes had been eliminated and she had cleansed our house. The difference was unmistakable. I later told my roommates about my session. And in the following weeks, we all confirmed that the scary incidents, sleepless nights and night terrors were all gone. We all loved living there after that. And when I think back on it, I honestly miss that house. All right. I know so many people roll their eyes when they hear about energy healers or energy workers. But I I mess around with energy workers. Absolutely. I have had not not a ton, but I have had one very unexplainable experience with an energy worker. And I don't think it's any more out there than things like prayer or meditation or manifesting. It's all kind of the same. I mean, energy is obviously real and observable. We have it inside of us. It makes sense that it could move in and out of us. You know, I don't think it's that far fetched. But yeah, I do bet he was mad that you named him Couscous. It seems like that's when things got a little bit rowdy. Let's think of other names that you could name your ghost. You could name him like Brandon. Maybe it was a girl. You could name her Chelsea. I don't know. There's a lot of different options. Couscous does feel a little disrespectful to the undead. Not going to lie. All right. They begin. I love you and I hate this story. Is it spooky? You be the judge. There's no ghosts, but it freaked me out and everyone who's heard this story. So my ears have a hard time cleaning out their own earwax. and I have to put drops in my ears and flush it out with water every month or two. Otherwise, my ears get so clogged, I can't hear. High maintenance, I know. Anyway, one morning I woke up and felt my ear clogged, so I knew I needed to clean it out. 
I kept putting it off, but finally, after I got the kids to bed, I put the drops in my ear and I laid on the couch for a few minutes to let them loosen things up in there. Then I head to the bathroom and I squeeze some warm water in there. Nothing comes out, so I squeeze in some more warm water and then I felt a pinch and out crawls a real life earwig. Maddie, I truly thought I might die. I started screaming and I said words I've never said in my life. I felt my soul leave my body in that bathroom. I shook my head around and it fell into the sink. I'm certain I narrowly escaped permanent damage to my ear because of how much water I flushed through it after that. But how long was it in there? I don't know. And I'm afraid to know. Someday when my kids are grown and they can hear the story of why mom said real bad words in the bathroom that one time because a real life earwig crawled out of my ear. For now, you can catch me managing my PTSD symptoms anytime my ear feels clogged. This is terrifying. Of all of the stories I've read this year, this is the one I want to experience the least. I would so much rather be haunted by couscous. Also, I googled it, and apparently if you think there is a bug in your ear, you should pour a little bit of vegetable oil, vegetable oil in it to suffocate the bug, and then you can flush it out with warm water. Thankfully, I've never had a bug in my ear. I did get a Tic Tac stuck in my ear one time because my brother was really bugging me. I was probably like eight or nine and he was really bugging me and I wanted some attention. And so I shoved a Tic Tac in as deep as it could go to see if I could get somebody to like care. And uh, nobody did. I also got a tiny camera stuck in my ear. <laughs> I had a scab in my ear. Do you guys remember? I had to go to the ear doctor last year. It was a whole thing, but I wanted to look at it. So I got one of those little tiny like ear cameras off of Amazon and the tip came off and got stuck in my ear. I can't imagine any doctor would give those ear cameras the, the okay. I can I can safely assume you should not buy medical equipment on Amazon. All right, next story. Also, I really appreciate those of you who are putting your pronouns in your stories so I can say she or he or they appropriately. I should probably add those to the submission forms. I just have there's so many submission forms. I just I'm I'm too lazy. So I appreciate you guys doing that. But I will I will continue to say they if I'm not totally sure. Let's go on with our story. I was once staying at a hotel in New Hampshire and I was waiting in the lobby with my mom for my sister and dad to go to dinner. Suddenly, a woman threw open the door from a rainstorm outside, limped to the check in desk and whisper asked the receptionist if the rumors were true and if it was really haunted. Like, <laughs> like I feel like that woman is a witch. I feel like she probably came in in a cloak and a limp and like a lazy eye and was and was whispering, are the rumors true? Like, oh, I've got a good, the, the sore throat is good for witch voice. Okay. They go on. Because I was 14 and scared and also nosy, I eavesdropped everything and basically saw this man pull up four binders worth of certificates that proved the haunting. I didn't want to believe it, but my mom and I spent the entire evening begging my dad to go stay at another hotel in the area but he refused and told us it was all probably just a tourist trap. We didn't really encounter anything the rest of our stay, but on the last night, I heard children running above us from midnight to 3 a.m. straight and wrote it off as my brain playing a trick on me. But it was strange that it went on for three hours nonstop. Eventually, I dropped it, but almost 10 years later, I was telling someone this story, and I started Googling the hotel. I then saw someone mention that one of the most notorious ghosts there was two children that can be heard playing throughout the hotel. I asked my mom and she confirmed that she had heard them too. Okay, if you submitted this story, this is your story. Will you message me and tell me what hotel it was? Because I googled New Hampshire Haunted Hotel and it turns out there are a lot. 
I found an article called The 17 Most Haunted Places in New Hampshire, and eight of them are hotels. What's going on, New Hampshire? Are you okay? Anyway, in case you're wondering what the what the hotels are, which is going to be a real curveball if she's not talking about any of these hotels I'm, sp- I'm listing. There's also an additional one. The haunted hotels in New Hampshire are the Omni Mount Washington Resort, the Beale House Inn, the Notchland Inn, the Christmas Farm Inn. That's a bummer if that one is, is where you stayed because it sounds lovely. The Hotel Portsmouth, the Tilton Inn, not Hilton, I double checked, the Nutmeg Inn, also cute, and the Three Chimneys Inn. My money is on the Portsmouth Hotel because the people who owned it had four kids and people said that they heard kids in the hotel. So yeah, if you could message me, I would really love to know. But catch me never staying at any type of haunted hotel. I feel like it's safe to say that the haunted hotels are always like one-off boutique local hotels. You never hear about a haunted like Best Western. So it's always probably smart to stay at a chain. All right, next story. They begin. I suffer with sleep paralysis often. If you don't know what it is, look it up. It's awful. Oh, it is. It is awful. It is awful. It always happens to me when I fall asleep on my back. And sometimes I have a hard time falling asleep because I'm so afraid of it happening. Most of the time I will wake up in my dream and I just can't move. I'll scream, but no noise will come out and it's terrifying. That's what my sleep paralysis feels like. Not being able to call out for help or move a muscle is the scariest thing to experience. It's a terrifying thing on its own, but this one night still haunts me. One night I woke up in the middle of the middle of a sleep paralysis spell. Sometimes if I can slow my breathing and close my eyes, I can snap myself out of it. I woke up and noticed I was paralyzed. Knowing how it usually goes, I started to slow my breathing. As I closed my eyes, I noticed a black figure in my doorway. I was afraid of the dark, so I always slept with the hall light on and the door wide open. There was no mistaking there was a figure in front of my door just standing there, not moving, just a shadowy figure filling up my entire doorway. We stared at each other for a while until I realized this was not a dream. This was real, this is my room, and I am wide awake. I was extremely afraid and my breathing sped up as I tried to move my legs. As I'm struggling to move, the figure moves. As I'm locked inside my body, Oh, that is exactly, that is how I would describe sleep paralysis. Last week, it was like the pouring concrete feeling, but locked inside your body. Anyway, I watch as this faceless figure walks up to my bed. My eyes followed it until it got right to the end of my bed, right by my feet that I could not move. I lost it and attempted to scream as hard as I could, begging my body to move. I shut my eyes as it cocked its head and watched me scream. Finally, I heard myself scream. I opened my eyes and the figure was gone. My parents ran down to my room, freaking out because of how loud I was screaming. I told them something was in my room and they slept in the hallway the rest of the night. The worst thing I've ever experienced. And I always worry I will see him again when I wake up in the middle of the night. I am telling you guys, this is too common for it not to be real. This is exactly what people were seeing last week during sleep paralysis, the black shadowy figure. I mean, come on. But luckily, this week, We have another submission that is here to help us. Okay, listen to this, guys. I was re-listening to the Bood episodes from past years in preparation for spooky season since it's always my favorite thing. And I heard you mention the whole ghost sitting on your chest while laying on your back phenomenon, and I had to share this tidbit of info with you. I read a book for school a couple years ago called The Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston. I loved it because why wouldn't I love a book about women that are warriors? Anyway, the author was born in America, the first in her family, and recounts how her Chinese heritage impacted her and her relationships, specifically between her and her mother that grew up in entirely different countries. The author retells stories that her mom told her as a child from when her mom was living in China before World War II. In the memoir, the author's mom told her about something they call a sitting ghost. 
The ghost was well-known in her mother's circles and would scare the people around her. They would all share stories about this ghost. Does this sound familiar? Two things about this. The concept of a sitting ghost or a ghost that hovers over whoever they are haunting is more far-reaching than just the people of this day and age and Western culture. I think that makes it way more real. And two, here's the best part, she found a way to beat it. I will summarize it here because the passage in the book is quite long. She said not to try to physically fight the ghost because it will absorb the energy. I got to say, I would never think to fight a ghost. I mean, but I would maybe try to like confront them. Anyway, they go on. Instead, you should speak to the ghost. Words like you will not win. You do not belong here. And when morning comes, only one of us will control this room and it will be me. She then goes on to describe to the ghost how she will dance around the room and not sneak about it like a creep. She also calls the ghost a coward. The actual speech she gives the ghost is amazing, but that is the gist. There is an obvious metaphorical tone in the story of standing up for yourself and taking control of your life, but it looks like that's how it is with ghosts. Basically, you just need to set the boundaries. They can't hurt you and you have the power to keep yourself safe. Why did I want to cry reading that? I think that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And now we know how to get rid of ghosts. You tell them, listen, I'm the head bitch in charge here. Get out of my life. Get out of my room. And then you throw a dance party. It's perfect. Okay, now that we've had some scary ones, let's get into a couple sweet ones about loved ones who have moved on. They begin. This one is a sort of tender and sweet ghost story. Hope that's okay. Of course. Of course it's okay. My dad passed away 12 years ago in August. The Valentine's Day following his passing, I was up early getting ready for school and I could hear a phone alarm going off. Assuming it was my younger sister's phone alarm, she always got up after me. I just ignored it. After a few minutes of it going off, I got so annoyed. So I started walking down the hallway to see why she hadn't turned off her alarm. As I turned down the hall to her room, I could see my mom up out of her bed looking through her drawers. Confused, I looked over to see my little sister up and awake. The alarm was coming from somewhere inside my mom's room. We quickly found my dad's old phone that he had before he died in one of my mom's drawers. It was an alarm on his phone that, keep in mind, had been dead for months. The screen also happened to be broken from when my younger sister accidentally dropped it. We opened the phone and the screen was blank white. And so startled, we hurried and turned off the phone to shut the alarm off. It only took a second for us to start nervously laughing and wonder what just happened. We still to this day say it was my sweet dad wishing his girls a happy Valentine's Day. Also, he passed away August 14th and it was six months to the date. The first Valentine's without him will always be the most memorable. Dads. Dad's being sweeties. Nothing makes me more emotional than a sweet dad. I have a very, very, very sweet father, and it is emotional all the time. Anybody talks about their dad, any movie has a nice dad. I cannot handle it. There's this, oh, there's this TikTok that makes me sob every time. It's Mandy Patinkin, which if you guys don't follow him on TikTok, please go follow him. He is the epitome of a sweet dad, but he is responding to this girl's video. She's talking about how when her dad died watching, oh, I should clarify, Mandy Patinkin plays Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. So she was talking about how it really helped her when her dad had passed away and she loved the character. of In In I never know if it's Inigo or Inigo, whatever it is. And then Mandy Patinkin talks about how, I'm going to cry thinking about it. Mandy Patinkin talks about how when he was playing that character and he would deliver the line, you killed my father, prepare to die, he would he would feel like he was talking to the cancer that took his dad. Wow. I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for anything about dads. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is another sweet one. They say, Maddie, love you and love the pod. You're the only good thing about Mondays. 
You guys know I love to keep that in. I could cut it out. Don't want to. But bestie, I have to tell you about the time my grandma visited me from the beyond. For context, my grandmother was an avid reader. She had six kids and then 12 grandkids. I'm the oldest granddaughter, and I provided my grandmother with her first great-grandchild, a baby girl, seven years ago. She wanted loads and loads more, but unfortunately, cancer took her much too soon. She passed away three years ago this month. She only got to meet two of her great-grandchildren before she died. So to leave a memory for the ones yet to come, she recorded herself reading the book, Twas the Night Before Christmas. On each page, there's a digital marker that can tell where we're at at the story, and her recorded voice reads it out loud. I've had it since she made it because my kiddo is the only one who remembers her. My daughter is getting older now, and we will most likely gift it on to my cousins as their children get older for them to read. I know that's exactly the way my grandma would have wanted it. Anywho, about two months ago, I spent an entire weekend cleaning out my office, including a big box of my daughter's stuff that I've been meaning to meaning to donate. We're talking stuff from years ago, old clothes, ballet shoes, some toddler toys, baby board books, etc. I put the big box in the back of my car on Sunday night, planning to take it to the thrift store the next day. That morning, I get in my car and shut the door. As I start it up, I can hear someone talking. I turn off the blasting air conditioning and my Bluetooth only to realize that it's my grandma's voice. At first, I can't quite make out what she's saying. And then I hear like a bowl full of jelly. And I immediately know it was the book. I open up the back of my car and I go searching. And sure as can be, it's in the middle of the box, all the way closed. I have no idea how the recording started because the pages have to be wide open to trigger the recording. It's a feature of the book in order to tell what page you're on. But the book, covered way down in the middle of the box, was closed tightly. But then it hit me. If I didn't hear it, I would have dropped that box at the thrift store and driven away and never given it a second thought. I have absolutely no idea how it got in there since I loaded that box with my daughter's stuff over a year ago. I clutched it to my chest and ran back inside, my heart pounding and tears in my eyes. My grandmother was there to give me a sign, and there's absolutely nothing that can convince me otherwise. She had to make sure I didn't give away her Christmas bedtime book for the great-grandchildren. I still have goosebumps thinking about it. If you've gotten this far, thanks for reading. Much love. Unbelievably sweet. Unbelievably sweet. I love when stories end up that way. I love when it's not couscous, the malicious ghost. It's just a grandma wanting to love on her grandbabies. We love it. Okay, let's get on to a scary, scary story. A few years ago, my son was about four months old and he was going through a terrible sleep regression. He would fight going to sleep, wake up a million times, all that jazz. One night, my husband and I were watching some TV in the living room while I rocked our son to sleep. He finally dozed off, so I walked into our bedroom to lay him down in his bassinet. In the process of walking into my bedroom, my son woke up a little bit, so I sat on the edge of my bed to let him fall back asleep before laying him down. As I was sitting on the edge of the bed, in the pitch black, I might add, I felt my husband crawl into bed behind me and move the covers a bit. I waited to hear him plug his phone in or settle in, but I heard nothing. I asked him what he was doing, but I got no response. I was so sure that I'd felt him get into bed that I stood up and turned on the light, only to find he wasn't there. I walked back to the living room and saw that he was sitting on the couch, so I asked why he had come into the bedroom. He looked very confused and said that he hadn't. He had been sitting in the same position the whole time I was gone. I was sure that he was just messing with me because I had definitely felt him get into bed. I immediately jumped into a sleep-deprived new mom rage and told him to stop joking around and admit that he had come into the bedroom. He was adamant that it wasn't him and even backed it up with the fact that we have a purple mattress, not sponsored, genuinely just the most comfortable shit I've ever slept on, so I wouldn't have felt him even if he was climbing into bed. I was unsatisfied with his explanation and demanded we test it out. I went and sat on the corner of the bed again and made him come crawl into bed behind me to see if I could feel it. To my horror, I couldn't feel him moving the bed at all. I had distinctly felt someone crawl into bed behind me, 
when I was in the room alone just a few minutes before. We were both super creeped out and just went to bed and tried to ignore it. This was all fine and dandy until the next day. My husband confessed to me that he had been waking up at night to see a figure that looked like me standing at the side of his bed, sometimes standing in the middle of our bed, and sometimes crouched behind our bedroom door. I'm sorry? I immediately remembered that there had been multiple times over the previous weeks where my husband had startled awake and yelled, my name, what are you doing? Even though I was just laying next to him asleep. This continued for a few more weeks and eventually got less frequent, but occasionally my husband will still see it. I've never seen it and I've convinced myself that he is insane because that's better than living in a haunted house. Our house is only three years old and we built it, so who knows where this presence has come from. When I started working from home at the beginning of the pandemic, there were a few strange happenings as well, but that's a story for another day. All right, I don't mean to make light of this extremely terrifying story, but you should submit this to Purple for a, a mattress commercial or like a sponsorship or something because it's kind of like that review. Okay, this went viral a few years ago. Somebody bought some headphones on Amazon and then left a review and was like, my neighbor was literally murdered and I didn't hear anything because I had these headphones. But I do think that this story also answers a question that I have asked many, many, many times on the boot broadcast, which is what's the scariest ghost to see? We've had this discussion. Is it a kid? Is it an old person? The scariest ghost to see would be yourself. Am I wrong? No. All right. Next up. When I was a teener, teener, <laughs> when I was a teenager, my family moved to the south of France. Very cool. My parents got a great deal renting this cool home that used to be an old bed and breakfast in a small village. It wasn't until we had been there for a little while that we noticed a few strange things about the home. On the top floor, there was a corridor that we noticed we had all been avoiding. There were enough rooms elsewhere, so we didn't really need to go in there, but still, the door always gave off a strange feeling. I went in there a few times, and while there was nothing out of the ordinary, there was always a dark, creepy feeling about the place. My friend and I slept there once on a dare, and the whole time I felt really twisted. We found out after being there for a year that it wasn't just us. The owners, on multiple occasions, had priests come in to bless the area of the, that area of the house as they felt a dark presence there. Also, there were small cobwebbed stairs on the bottom floor down to a dirt floor basement. None of us could stand going down there for more than a few minutes. But I was down there long enough to see a large, dark well in the corner covered over with chicken wire. It was also during this time that my sister developed night terrors, sleepwalking down the stairs in the direction of the basement before we could stop her, and then she would wake up screaming. She never had those before or after this home. It wasn't until a while living there that we learned the story of the home. During World War II, this house had been the Nazi headquarters for the area. I shudder to think what happened in that home, especially in that corridor and what could be in the basement. This, this one makes me actually sick to my stomach. Like it's so, it's so scary and so creepy. Like the fact that we are not far removed from this point in history, like we are barely 80 years past it, barely. That's sick. I feel like some things you learn about in history and you're like, wow, that's crazy that that happened like 600 years ago or that happened in like 400 BC. The Holocaust just barely happened. Like Al Pacino was alive when it was happening. Julie Andrews, Jane Fonda, anybody over the age of 80 was around, What was alive, like they had been born and this was happening. It's just, it's very, very, very horrifying what, what humans are capable of. What's that saying? Like, if we stop talking about it, we are doomed to repeat it. I can go ahead and confidently say I really, 
really hope that is not something that repeats itself. So, yep, got to gotta keep talking about it. All right, let's go on to the next one. And then I will leave you guys with one of the funniest stories that's ever been submitted. And I thought that I could leave you guys on a high note. <laughs> All right, here's this last one. Maddie, or sorry, here's this last scary one. And then we'll do the funny one. Maddie, hi, I love you. Buckle up. When I was 18, I got kicked out of my house and moved in with my grandma for a while. My aunt and uncle left their two small kids there, or my aunt and uncle and their two small kids were living there at the same time as well. Me and my aunt's family lived in the rooms downstairs and my grandparents lived upstairs. There was a large living room that took up the majority of the basement, a hall where four bedrooms, two on the left, one at the end of the hall, and one on the right. We, we, they were all connected by doors. I stayed in the room that connected to the 18-month-old baby's room, which connected to my aunt and uncle's room, which connected to my three-year-old cousin's room. Whew, okay, we've got the layout. There was also, oh wait, not quite. There was also a door that led to the water heater and the entrance to the second garage that they called the gray room. I promise that is relevant. The 18-month-old was pretty colicky and would wake up a lot during the night, and sometimes I would try to help her get back to sleep so my aunt didn't have to wake up so much. One night, I heard crying from what I assumed was the baby, so I got up to put her back to sleep, and when I walked over to the crib, she was laying there awake, staring straight up at me, but not crying. The crying was coming from out in the hall, and I peeked my head out in the door, or I peeked my head out of the door, and the three-year-old's door was open, and the crying was coming from the living room. I thought this was kind of weird because the three-year-old basically never woke up crying, but I figured he'd had a nightmare and wandered out of his room looking for his mom. So I walked out calling his name, and I realized that the crying was coming from the gray room. The Gray Room is such a scary title. It feels like the title of a horror movie. I checked in the Gray Room but couldn't find him and heard the crying again coming from the little room next to the Gray Room that had the water heater. I opened the door and turned on the light to find the room had no crying child in it. Then I heard crying coming from the bedroom hallway. I got the most sickening feeling of terror and slammed the door to the little room and ran to the hall to find my aunt at the end of the hall and asked if I was okay. I told her I heard crying and checked on the baby, but she was okay. And then I saw three-year-old's door open and I thought he'd gotten up. She said, that's weird. He's still asleep in his bed. I just checked on him. I was ready to shit my pants. I was so scared, but I just said, oh, okay. And I went back to bed as to not alarm my aunt. The next day I told her what had happened and she went pale. She had told me that she had seen someone standing behind me in the living room, but didn't want to scare me. We never spoke about it again until we both moved out. Like WTF. Yeah, I feel like uh, for sure. Tell someone. I don't know. Actually, as I said that, as I said that, I always get a little I always get a little bit ahead of myself because I'm like, yeah, of course you should tell somebody. But what would be worse, telling them or not telling them? I'm trying to think. I think I would like to not know. I think I would be happy if somebody didn't tell me, but I would for sure not want them to tell me the next day. Like if you're not going to tell me when it happens, don't tell me ever or tell me right away because then it just freaks me out even more, you know? All right. Our last story of the day has absolutely nothing to do with anything spooky. I don't even know how it got submitted to this, but we're just going to roll with it because I could not believe this story. Okay, it begins. This won't be traditionally spooky, but this will definitely be the scariest thing you will read today. So I teach fifth grade, and one morning as I'm teaching math, I go to fart, except it isn't a fart, and I straight up fill my underpants with shit. I run out of the classroom tackling a student on my way out of the door. By the grace of God, I happen to have my phone in my pocket, which I use to text my principal. I got her to cover my class and I promptly go home where I shit for the... Sorry, that word is in this a lot. My mom is not going to be happy for the next 12 hours straight. Finding a substitute is hard, so I went to school the next day. I somehow made it through both Tuesday and Wednesday at school, but I can't seem to stop pooping whenever I eat or drink anything. 
On Thursday morning, I get to school, and the moment the kids walk in, it is clear to me that I am not going to last more than five minutes without it happening again. By this point, I was on day four of diarrhea, and I actually thought I might die. I got another teacher to sub, and I went to the teacher's bathroom and called out, called a friend to take me to the ER. What followed was 30 minutes of an out-of-body experience where I truly thought I was going to die on the toilet Elvis style. Halfway through this endeavor, I realized I locked the door and that even if I died in this bathroom, no one would find me for hours or even days. With this fear, I pulled myself together and I shuffled out of the bathroom. On my way out the door, I caught a glimpse of my face, which had lost all color. My vice principal saw me and basically carried me out to my friend's car because she didn't think I'd make it. I literally thought I was going to die and what followed has haunted me ever since. We got to the ER and I immediately got a room. They give me two cups, one to pee in, one to poop in, so they could take samples. I had absolutely nothing left in me, so despite my efforts, I couldn't give them a sample. I went back to the small room they had for me and changed into my gown. Unfortunately, I had the bright idea to take off all my clothes, including my underwear, because I knew when I was ready to go again, there would be no stopping it. The nurse asked me to try to get a sample again. Did I mention the bathroom I had to use was down the hallway? So I shuffled down the hallway in my gown and try again. Since I had the gown on, I was somewhat difficult to hold the pee cup. I decided to fling the gown around behind me. What followed was the scariest moment of my life. I remembered that moment an hour earlier at school, so this time I didn't lock the door. And in walks the most beautiful EMT worker staring at his phone. He gets all the way into this tiny bathroom and is close enough for me to touch him before he looks up from his phone. He makes eye contact with me and shouts. I can only imagine the vision of me sitting there, butt naked, wearing a hospital gown as a cape, hand in toilet, mouth open in surprise, straining to poop. It would have legitimately scared the shit out of me if I had anything left inside. The doctors never figured out what was wrong with me, but later that night, I did poop out three emodium and an entire noodle. To recap, in the span of four hours, I shat in front of 23 fifth graders. I almost pulled an Elvis in an elementary school bathroom. I gave an unsuspecting EMT worker a visual he never asked for, and I completely killed my gut microbiome. All right, I realized that I said I was leaving you on a high note, and that is kind of a low note to leave you guys on. But still, it's better than leaving you with something haunted. It's better to leave you with somebody just pooping their pants. All right, that's all we have time for today. But the Bood broadcast is not going anywhere. We got one more week. Next week's is how comes out on Halloween day. We got to go big. I don't know what I'm going to do for it, but I'm going to cook something up in my old noggin and it's going to be fun. So join me next week as we round out this year's Bood broadcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and to be safe, be kind, be hot. I forgot to say that at the end of last week's episode. I'm humiliated. So I'm going to say it twice. Be safe, be kind, be hot. I love you more than anything. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind-the-scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.